If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Happy Libations Friday. Lucy Goosey edition of the program. I'm Jeff. Tom is here. He's hiding on the interwebs. He'll be in the frame here soon enough. Director Matthew from afar on Twitter. It's at Jay Cameron Show. Today's show pre-recorded. Mm, such a bummer. I used to ignore the FCC rules on this and never tell you if it was pre-recorded. Just so you know, I duped you guys. In years past um but that's because i didn't know the rule i plead ignorance i didn't know i was supposed to tell you that uh, we weren't live even if the show was live an hour before you're listening to it, it, it i still have to tell you so there you go i wish i wish we'd go back to the old way of doing things tom now they could we couldn't do it because they can see that i'm not in the studio <laughs> well who knows maybe we'll do a couple of live ditties from the the hizzy over the next couple of months anyway well Probably not March because that's spring camp. You want to be in the studio. But in the summertime, you know, if we're moving around, bouncing around, doing some things. We're in different parts of the region. That's the beautiful thing about technology. Used to be really hard, man, yeah. to, be able to yeah. pull that off. And now with technology, it's like if only I could have told the radio version of you and me 13 years ago, 14 years ago when I started in this gig, you'd just log onto your computer and there you'd be. You'd say, that's crazy. You need an ISDN drop, Tom. We have to have an ISDN drop to make this thing work. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, frequently inconsistent. Yeah. So it was very frustrating for me because I would watch a panicked you scramble to try to make sure that things were working right. And for people that don't know, it's hard to do a good broadcast and stay locked in when you're watching your producer scramble. Because you know something's amiss. Well, and, and that's the only thought that is repeated in your mind. 
Yeah, and I'm saying, Internet Jesus, take the wheel, you know, because <laughs> I, I can't do anything about bandwidth. There's nothing I can do yeah. about that. Yeah. And in the old days with AJs, you just pray that they didn't get a fax from three to six. <laughs> use I phone. forgot about that. We were hooked into the fax line. Yeah, we were hooked into the fax line. So you're just thinking, don't get a, yeah, don't get a fax. You know, I, yesterday on the show, I talked about the negative aspects of aging is that you overreact, you overcorrect, uh, correct when something goes wrong. If you drop something or something bumps into you, like that's the first sign I've noticed really of aging that, and I don't jump as high as I used to besides those two things. Um, but the other byproduct of aging that is sad is that of course, uh, as you get older, the people you knew die. Now I'm not bringing us all down on a libations Friday, but you brought up AJ's and AJ's is no more. Yeah. And uh, I would also note that uh, it's just a sh quick shout out and an acknowledgement of Ed, who used to be the bartender there. He's passed on. Uh, I found that out recently that uh, unfortunately he passed away. But Ed was he was like Norm from Cheers or he was like uh, Sam Malone from Cheers. He was that bartender. He, he, tall ex-basketball player. I know in Cheers it was ex-baseball player, but he would talk sports with you for hours and hours. This is before you came along, Tom. Yeah, I don't remember him. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was the guy. There are people of a certain age who are listening to this just nodding their head right now. Ed was a fixture. He was the guy. Uh, he moved to Jacksonville, and uh, th that was the end of the Ed era at AJ's. But that was a golden era of AJ's. And it does make me sad that Ed has passed and that AJ's is no more. I was driving down Tennessee Street recently, and I looked over to the spot where AJ's used to be, and it is no more, and it just breaks my heart. That was a real fixture here for a very long time. I hope I get an email or a social reply to this question because there was another bartender not too far from AJ's back in the day who was always a delight. He worked at the old B-dubs, the old school. It's now a different establishment. But then it was the varsity for like five minutes. Yeah, for five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did shows there on a Friday. You had trouble on one of those Fridays. At the I Bucks. remember it. Yes, very yeah. much so. But there was a bar tent. That was a great setup for a bar over yeah. there. And uh, this guy was a Steelers fan. He's probably 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but he was there forever. Always had a smile on his face and was the nicest okay. guy in the world. I don't yeah. remember his name, but if you were of my era or before, because he'd been there a while, let me know that my man, the Steelers fan, is okay. I just want to know. Somebody's out there like, oh, I know that guy. He's, He's doing great. He's down in Palm Springs now. Like, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. Right. Please, somebody send, send me some good juju. Let me know that that guy's all right. Well, you do. You root for it because bartenders are special people. Well, they can be. They can be, and they're important. And uh, I, we've said, you and I, if we leave this business, we're opening a bar. We're going to do it. We're going to open a bar together where you can gamble. We'll take bets at the bar yeah. because it'll be legal by then. And it'll be outstanding. It'll be fun. People will come in like, oh, I'm going to go up and see Cameron and Lang, make some bets, drink a few beers, enjoy their delicious whatever we cook. What would you, <laughs> yeah, no, I would just cut a deal with the best pizza place in town that, you know, yeah. just kind of, there it we're is. So, we're the bookies at the end of the bar. <laughs> what would you call the, the, the establishment? Would you call it bookies? That would be one hell. Oh, of that'd be bar. fantastic. Who wouldn't want to stop in bookies? Oh man. Yeah. I like it. I think we did it. I think we just did it. And then the menu is just different, like names of bets. So you got the exact the parlay, the, the executive. The parlay yes. <laughs> The, the three team teaser pleaser. Yeah. <laughs> Quintella. <laughs> be like, I'll, I think I'll have the money line. Um, that would be great. Yeah. I would love that. We should do it.
bookies. Any I investors like out there, we'll be your front men if you want to make this happen. Let's open a bar called Bookies. At least once a week, Tom and I will be there to bartend and make bets with everybody. And then uh, we'll all prosper. Free drinks for bets. That's it. So you have to stick around. You have to buy, You have to have an active ticket going. But then we have wagers on whatever. Live wagers for drinks. That's how you get your specials. And next week, we will be looking into these wagers as it is Super Bowl week next week. Not today, unfortunately. Yeah. It is next week. I can't. I will do this. Here's a football subject that I did not realize was going to touch a nerve. But this morning on Twitter, I found out otherwise. So I don't know if you saw this story, Tom, but we're both fascinated by the broadcast industry because we work in the broadcast industry. But C C what? I think I know where you're going with this story. CBS and Romo, did you hear this? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. How about that? They flew to Dallas to talk to him about how much he sucks these days. Okay. In short, the headline is basically telling you that they flew to Dallas to tell him you're not any good. Let's get it together. But here's my point. Have you seen somebody go from the level of excellence that he was in year one to where he is now so quickly? It's embarrassed. What happened, Tony? Okay. Okay. So I actually have an answer for this. I've got got a decent answer. And you're going to you're going to make a face when I tell you why. But every once in a while when I'm driving home, I will listen to the Mad Dog because we're done at three o'clock. Yep. There it is. There's the face. Here's why. Here's why. Because he has information about the business yeah, okay. that very few others do. And so he was on a rant about something else. Then he says, and Romo will never shut up. I can never enjoy anything. He'll never shut up. And he said, why don't you start prepping for these games instead of blatant chips all the damn day? You're not doing your damn job. Everybody knows it. So apparently, if you reach the upper levels of the TV industry, he let it slip. That it's well known that Tony doesn't prep for his gigs. That's and correct. Focused on playing golf, which I find hilarious because you're getting paid eighteen million dollars a year. I know yeah, it's not Tom Brady TV money, but it's ten years, hundred and eighty million. He was good at it for a few years. He decided, screw this, I can wing it. I'm just going to golf all day. So that is correct, um, and it's interesting. A couple of people have noted this that. He stopped the, the the keen insight that he was most known for, right? He predicted plays. They told him to stop predicting plays. They should not have told him to stop predicting plays. It does not give anybody an advantage that is down on the field. Stop doing that. Let them man predict the plays. It was awesome. He would come to the line of scrimmage, and he would play the role of – or he would, he would wait till they came to the line of scrimmage, and he would play the role of quarterback. You're in the booth because you were a starting NFL quarterback. You're in the booth because you were a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys that made the playoffs, and you at one time played at a very high level. I mean, I know you never won a Super Bowl, but he played at a high level. He did. He was a good player for a while. His ability to convey to the viewer what the quarterback was seeing from the defense and then what they were in formationally and his options – based on that coverage, was excellent insight. That is the very definition of color analysis. That is what you do. You've got to give us something we can't, we don't know. you got to tell us something that we're maybe not processing the way you would as a former NFL quarterback. Also, you can see the safeties, and those of us at home cannot see the safeties because the camera angle sucks. So 
because you were a quarterback and because you can see the safeties, which is everything to reading a defense, then that insight is greatly appreciated. He went from doing that, telling us why the quarterback is going to check to what he's going to check to, what he thinks the play is, what the chances of that play are of having success based on the look they're getting and the personnel they have, which is the very thing you desperately want from a color commentator, to being a fanboy who just cheers Josh Allen and and uh, and all the other quarterbacks. That's what he does now. He's, oh, he's amazing. Oh, Jim, look at that, Jim. Oh, this is amazing. That's all he does. He doesn't do anything that he used to do. They failed. If that is true, if they told him to dumb it down, if they told him to stop doing that, and I had multiple people respond to a comment I made about this on Twitter, and, and they all seem to say the same thing. So maybe they read this somewhere. I don't know. Or maybe they heard the same show you did. But he doesn't sound prepared. He sounds like a fan, and he doesn't tell me anything anymore. Well, this is a waste of time. Right. Well, and, and here's another reason that I believe that information on that show was solid is because, and this I do, I never listen to, but Phil Sims joins that show for a half an hour on Fridays. And who does Phil Sims have an axe to grind with? Right. Obviously, Tony Romo, that, that was the guy who replaced him. So Phil would know, and he still works at CBS. He would get the inside dope, and people would say, oh, Phil, you were so much better. Tony, the, what he's devolved into, you and Nance, you know, were never this bad. It's because clearly he stopped caring, which is just kind of crazy because now you have to ask yourself the question if you're a TV executive moving forward, are we going to have guaranteed deals or are we going to have performance-based renewals? Yeah. We're signing these guys. Like, what if Tom Brady is awful? Not a stretch to think that he will be in the booth for Fox. 10 years, $375 million? <laughs> Is that fully guaranteed like a Major League Baseball contract? Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, You know, they had to have – my guess is, Tom, and I think it's a fairly good guess, they did a dry run with Tom Brady. There's no chance they just said, whenever you leave the game, we're going to give you the money without ever having heard you broadcast. I, I Here's why I have paused there. Maybe it's because they've learned a lesson at Fox, but Drew Brees was hired off the street, and so was Jason Witten. And Jason Witten was stuck in the Monday night booth, and Drew Brees was going to be the heir apparent on Sunday, and they stuck him on Notre Dame broadcasts along with studio responsibilities for NBC. Neither of those guys lasted very long in those gigs, but the networks didn't want the other network to grab the guy. It's nuts because Jason Witten may have been the worst broadcaster in the history of broadcasting, and that is saying something. I mean, my goodness gracious, gracious Jason Witten was a stick in the mud. I mean, he that was the worst thing I've ever heard. Everybody focused on Booger McFarland using cliches and being in the mobile that was down on, down on the field. They screwed Booger, by the way, had him down there in that impossible situation. Witten was on another level, man. Witten is on another level of what are you talking about? Years ago, I used to, Matt Millar and I, I used to talk about this all the time because when Eric Dickerson was the on-field reporter, buddy, that's a special kind of comedy. I mean, Eric Dickerson was so bad. You don't remember this, right? No, I don't. So Dickerson used to always wear this leather jacket, which was hilarious for a lot of reasons. But anyhow, he would always have this leather jacket on, and he would say, this is how he would commentate. Uh, they would throw it down to him, and he'd be like, thanks, guys. You know, earlier today, I talked with Emmett Smith, and he said, Eric, 
You know what I think is going to happen tonight? <laughs> That's what he would do every time. And then, like, later in the game, they'd go, what do you think they're trying to accomplish by using this timeout? Well, I talked with Coach Landry earlier in the day, and he said, Eric, I think when we get like <laughs> that, he did it every single time. It was fantastic. Oh, I miss it. They fired him pretty quickly. But he couldn't stop it. Hey, what happened to Lynn Swan? Did he just get fired? He wasn't he, any good either, but uh, he moved it along, though. You, you, it's okay if the sideline reporter moves it along. You don't have to be great. You just got to move it, move the discussion, and not become an anchor to the discussion. Like, there were times, I know you didn't like him, but the late Tony Saragusa, there were times when Goose actually advanced the broadcast from the sideline. He got better later. Yes. Early in his career, he was just a buffoon, a fat buffoon. And then, there, yes, there were times when it was like they toss it back to the booth, and I, Kenny Albert, I, I rarely feel bad for him, but in that situation, I'm like, where do you go? Like, yeah. do you just ignore it? And Kenny would. He, it, it would be, Goose would say, and that's why you got to do it. These beefy guys. Dead silence, second and six. And I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I do. That's what yeah. I do. I'd probably yeah. just go to the next play. Uh, yeah, there's nothing you can do to play off of that. It's, it's all, I will just say this. Like, I think, and I, this is going to sound like I'm sucking up to him because he's a, a friend uh, and he's a knoll, but I'm not. I really think Tom Block does a good job because he only hits the button to add something yeah. to what they're saying. So it's if they're speculating about what just happened or about an injury or about whatever the reason for something that just happened. Tom does a good job of like weighing in saying, well, guys, I just heard coach so-and-so say, and then boom, tells us what the F happened. Yep. That's good. That's he, what you're supposed to do there. He'll even chime in to do a spot of the ball, which is critical because you're down on the sideline. You can kind of see when there's a judgment call going one way or the yeah. other. Or I going, think he's short here, Gene. Or, yeah. yeah replay officials uh, when they're discussing. Like, so that's a tough situation for any broadcast crew to, to string that out. So if you're Cole Hayne and William in the booth and we have an ACC official replay review, which is going to take four and a half to five minutes, now you can have the discussion on the sideline. Oh, they've got their notebooks out, like little details like that, which mean that the play is going to change. It helps. It helps greatly if you can have somebody who is not, again, an anchor to the discussion. And we all know who those folks are when, and, and it could be male or female, doesn't matter. And then they you throw it down there and you realize, oh, God. This See, is I think bad. years ago, uh, and they've gotten better with this, it's still not great. To me, this is the easiest mandate in the world for that job. You have to further the discussion. You have to provide insight to something that can't be gleaned from the booth. Yep. It can't be that you're asking a coach as he jogs off the field what they're going to do about the 21-point deficit. It, it can't be that. And too often it is that, and you see the coaches get annoyed as they're trying to get into the locker room and address their team. It, it can't be that. And that's also the truck, though. The truck is telling them to ask the questions that they have to ask. That's not like something that you think of on the spot. When it, Now, when, as your cloud increases, you can go and, and do as you wish. But I agree with you. The other thing I'd say about sideline reporting is the idea of making it a human interest story angle is annoying. It's annoying because it always bleeds into the next play. There's never enough time created. If you're going to do a sideline reporter who, when we come back from break, is going to tell you why this is an emotional day, for the fullback making a start because his grandmother is in the stands. You can't give them such a short period of time that the ball has been snapped. And the play is happening. There's an explosive play down the field. Yeah, correct. 20 plus yards. And that happens all the time. 
So it can't be about that. It, you're, it has to be what you're talking about. And one quick thing I'd say, just because I brought up Kenny Albert and Tony Saragusa, the other guy in that booth for a long time was Daryl Moose Johnson, who still works with Fox. He is the marvel of the NFL broadcasting industry that that dude who took that many serious hits as a fullback, as a fullback beyond what Aikman took, yeah. this guy was a fullback in the 90s is still really good at his job on Sunday. Shot, I just listened to a long-form interview with him. He was fantastic. Instant recall of every starter for both teams and the games that he called this year involving both the Eagles yes. and the Chiefs. So he's being asked questions about the matchup, and he's able to instantly recall the starting right guard and the nose tackle for the other in, in, in the matchups that are going to be pivotal for the game because he does prep and he does care. Yes. Obviously he, he understands that there's, there's a level of professionalism you have to have. It's an honor. I mean, I think he looks at the game uh, in a very respectful manner and then consequently does a job in which he is thoroughly prepared because he respects the players in the game and the coaches and the fans that much. When you wing it the way that Tony Romo is now doing, it's disrespectful to your audience and to the players and to the coaches involved in the game. Well, and to a lifer now, I mean, Daryl last played how long ago? 25 years ago? It's a long time ago now, yeah. That's a long broadcasting career. That guy will never get the number one chair because he wasn't a quarterback or because whatever reason. It's just not a sexy enough. Yeah, no, no, he's pretty, yeah. And he's, yeah, he's kind of bland in his delivery too, and that doesn't help him. That's exactly the reason. But he's prepared as hell for every broadcast. It was like uh, the big offensive lineman who they stuck with Dick Stockton. That dude was always prepared. Uh, It was a deal, but... Um, those guys will never get the number one chair and you owe it to them. You owe it to them as well, because they're the ones that carry this whole, you know, thing for 20 years before you get there. And they're the ones that when they retire, they're 75, 80 years old. And they made a, a huge career choice out of this. You arrive out of nowhere because you're the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback. And he was great to begin, but I guess that was only maybe you, you mentioned this a lot too, the natural instincts of just coming off the field make you a stronger analyst out the gate. So it's without question. Yeah. Makes me appreciate Troy Aikman all the more. I know I mentioned him earlier in the week, but Troy still very much cares about the gig and he is prepared to go. Does he make simplistic and weird comments from time to time? Yeah, but he's always prepared. He's, you could tell he's prepped. Yeah, he's prepped. And I would final thing ribbon on the commentary about broadcasting. Here's the deal. If you're a broadcaster, whether you're a color analyst, play-by-play announcer, sports talk, radio host, whatever it is, if you're a broadcaster of any kind. Coming to the understanding, and for listeners to understand this too, nobody is everybody's cup of tea. There's, there's stylistically, there's nobody universally beloved. I mean, it's crazy to me. I mean, I, the other day I was criticizing Al Michaels. I did so because Al Michaels is arguably the greatest play-by-play announcer in the history of sports. He's on the short list of people that you would include in that discussion. I was amazed at how many people think that Al Michaels sucks. Al Michaels sucks now, but Al Michaels was incredible for 35 years, 40 years. If we could be half as good at what we do at 75, 80 plus years old. Oh my God. It's amazing. But he has been a curmudgeon brat. It's over. It's over. It's over. And I hate it. Everybody reaches the end at some point. Yeah. And you know, it's clear that he's at the end. I just hope somebody cares enough about him 
to say, Al, you live in a gorgeous home in California. You play Pebble Beach weekly. Go do that. Go, go, <laughs> go do that, and let's call it a day. You've earned it. Thanks. Here's your golden parachute. Have a good one. Um, because I don't like it when they let guys choose to leave on their own time when the product is suffering because it's just such a, it's how we end up remembering them. Like Keith Jackson was really good at what he did for a long time until he became an a-hole and angry all the time. And then you're like, that's all I remember about Keith Jackson. Oddly enough, we're actually kind of in a dark age of, of NFL uh, number one broadcast. Yeah. They're going the way of the Dodo. It's ending. Well, because Tariko and Collinsworth have no chemistry whatsoever. Tariko tries too hard and Collinsworth doesn't accept him. And Tariko's a fantastic play-by-play guy, one of the best in the game. Yes, he is. But that just boot that boot doesn't work. Romo's mailing it in. Greg Olson's fine. I think he's good. I like Greg Olson. He's fine. There are times when he it, it sounds ridiculous, some of the things that he says, but he 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 efforts. He tries hard. And he knows the game. And he knows the game. Burkhart's fine. But I they, like Burkhart. And then they stuff Troy and 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 Joe on Monday nights, and they're probably the best. They're probably the best left. But when you're talking Sundays, like there aren't many crews where you're like, oh, thank God we got this crew calling in. When I was growing up, if you got Summerall and Madden, if you got, if you got a young Kenny Albert, if you had Dick Enberg calling your game. Dick Enberg was, was fantastic. Yes, yes. Now it's, um, what's his name, who does everything? Uh, he does Westwood One Monday Nights. Kevin Harlan. Kevin, Kevin Harlan's Harlan. great. Outside of that, you're kind of reaching. Kevin Harlan, I think, is the best broadcaster in the business. Um, that nobody has a delivery like Kevin Harlan. It's fantastic. When you listen to an NBA game that he's doing, you're like, holy moly, this is – I feel like I'm watching game seven on a Tuesday every, every – I mean, every game feels like the most important game ever. It's awesome. Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day. And I gave him a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, it had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's Athletic Greens, and uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon neutral business, by the way. If that's important to you, it is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS.
that Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. kind of a libations friday topic or it feels like one but it is interesting and somewhat embarrassing I, I i have to admit i don't mean for me but for forest state so i saw i would not have even known about this story i gotta be honest with you i mean you guys know me i'm not gonna pretend to uh to care about something that i normally don't just for the sake of, of talking here um this is a women's basketball story um which i don't care at all about ever really uh, unless we're really good and we are pretty good right now, but this one actually involves us. And I did not know this until somebody asked me a question about it on Twitter last night. And I saw, I went back and kind of researched what the hell they were talking about. I don't know if you've seen this, Tom, but uh, apparently we played against Duke with a men's basketball for a half last week, the other day. Yeah. And it's, it's become quite the controversy. Um, so I'm going to read, I, I don't have a problem with, uh, Carol Lawson, the head coach at Duke, um, the way that I thought I would when I read the headline, because if you read further, she, she goes out of her way to say, that's not why we lost Florida state beat us. So I'm going to give her some credit here. They lost 70 to 57 in Tallahassee. We, we, we know that on Sunday, and that's a good win for Florida state. Um, nice bounce back and. That's a that's a that's a trouncing, frankly, of a, of a good team. So, after Duke beat Pitt yesterday, she ended her news conference by speaking about the game on Sunday against us, and she said, "Did Carol Lawson? Uh, this would never happen in a men's game. This would never happen. It's embarrassing for our sport." Uh, Lawson said, "And for those that don't know, women's basketball is a different size than a men's basketball. It's about an inch smaller. If if you if you want to know, in fact, I love women's basketballs because I can easily palm them. And back when I was tr- constantly wanting to dunk, I I could dunk a women's basketball a lot easier than a men's basketball. So yeah, it's a little bit smaller." Lawson said that throughout the first half, Duke players were complaining about the ball. They were 7 of 34 from the field in the opening 20 minutes of the game. Uh, That ain't good. (laughs) Florida State was 10 of 30, uh, and we were 14 of 31 in the second half. Quote, to have a game like that at the end of the season could be the difference between a seed, between a title. My players don't deserve that, and neither do theirs. It's a complete failure, and you can figure out – who the people I'm talking about that failed the sport are and our players and both of the teams that played. Lawson said that the assistant coach, Winston Gandy, went to the scorer's table at the half to check the ball when he realized the problem was it was a men's ball. Quote, we have concluded that through our investigation, this was definitely a men's ball. The conference in Florida State is saying that it was not a men's ball. Lawson goes on to say, let me be clear, Florida State beat us. They beat us playing with a men's ball in the first half and a women's ball in the second half. But I can't say if we'd have played with a women's ball in the first half and the second half that we would have won. I can't say that. But they can't say that either. Lawson said the ACC has instituted a rule change under which players have to confirm the correct ball during the captain's meeting before the tip-off. She went on to say it's very frustrating 
the game was not treated with the utmost respect for the players on both teams. So I give her credit for going out of her way to make sure that she lets you know she doesn't think they lost because they played with the men's ball. She's just she thinks it's an affront to the women's game that that kind of oversight could happen. And I think she's right. It's true. It would never happen in a men's game. You would never start a game with a women's basketball in a men's game. It would never happen. It would get found out beforehand. It wouldn't even be a thing. So the fact that it happened in a women's game kind of does suck for the women involved. And I kind of feel bad thinking that, you know, Florida State screwed up here. Well, the question is at what level? Because um, when, when the article says, and I've read that piece as well, it's an AP piece, I believe, that Florida State, and and who else? The NCAA, the ACC, both the ACC. Said, the ACC. Yeah. So, what's interesting to me about that is where do you draw the line at Florida State? Like, is that at the administration level, the athletic department level, the coaching staff? Like, where 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 is Florida State encapsulated in this particular story? Because she is implying, Coach Lawson is implying that you know who I'm talking about, and I kind of don't beyond the conference level and the officials like the officials of course are in the mix here and culpable because these details need to be checked off before the game just like anything else you know they'll, they'll gripe about not having a jersey tucked in well you better check to make sure that the actual ball that you're playing with <laughs> it's the is, right ball is the right ball as you're throwing it to be tipped off yeah start a game it's probably an important part of the gig but as it pertains to florida state's culpability is she criticizing Coach Wyckoff and Florida State staff? Is she saying that we're trying to cut corners around here? Or is it that the administration is in denial and saying we didn't do anything wrong because they like the result that we got? I don't know. I, I don't know what exactly she's implying on that front. But there is no doubt that when you're talking about the officials, those involved in making sure that, you know, everything is where it needs to be, those people failed and the, and the conference uh, by extension, because that's their responsibility, also failed in this situation. Yeah, no, there's. I, I think she's inferring the officials failed. I did not attend this game. I didn't see a second of this game. I, I didn't see one basket in this game. So I don't know where the officials men, um, because it would seem to me that she would raise uh, a level of ire over that if the men uh, blew this more well, than I she would a woman. Well, what does it matter? What if you're an official and you blow your assignment because you don't know what the ball is? It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman in that situation. You just suck at your job. You do. I think it's implied that you don't care as much, perhaps. Sure. I think. Um, I think. Well, she might be blaming the conference. Coach Lawson might be blaming the conference and saying, "I mean, it, it is an extension. There is verifiable proof that at that least the NCAA doesn't care. That's that we we know that." They did this at the NCAA tournament. I mean, and and the yes, Mark Emmert's first response was, "You figure it out." Basically, yeah. that's what he said. So yeah, yeah so I that mean, that is a case in which a man who heads a very powerful organization that is running the most magnificent tournament the game features, and he's, I mean, absolutely just irreverent. He doesn't care at all about the concerns of the women and their uh, facilities in that situation. And so I think that this would be the byproduct of that, this feeling that the men involved in the women's game do not care at all about the women's game. And I can understand why, one, if you were a woman in that sport, I understand why you would feel that way. Especially with the opening of this segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I make it clear that I do yeah. not care about yeah. women's basketball. Sure. And I want to do that because I want to be transparent. I'm not trying to pretend I do. I don't. But the people involved should. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and it's BS. Yeah, this is BS. But, you know, the important thing here is also to make sure that you stress, and, and she did a good job, uh, Coach Lawson did, that this is not about the players on Florida State's side. Correct. Both teams, if you look at the shooting, it's give or take a shot. You're both garbage in the first half. You're shooting, you know, 30% plus for Florida State, under 30% for Duke. But, I mean, it's seven made field goals and 10 made field goals on 66 shots. Yeah, that's not very good. Perhaps you are illuminating why it is that I don't watch. Oh, a lot. <laughs> I, no, I, seriously. Yes, that's that's look. Here's what I'm saying. You know, with how precise that sport is in terms of your angles and everything as a shooter, if Correct. you increase the size of an NBA basketball by an inch of circumference and you upped it a couple of ounces before, say, the All Star game started, you'd have the lowest scoring All Star game in history. It might actually look like a normal NBA game, and you'd say, "What the hell gives? These guys are, are throwing up bricks left and right." So, I mean, there is there is a precision to this. I, I'm confused any- about it. Yeah, I, I am confused about a couple of things here. I, I don't know who's at fault. I think you're right to blame the officials. They should certainly know the difference between a men and women's basketball. No, I'm no. not an official, and I can tell you instantly if a ball is not the right size. I know that just from playing oh, high no. school. I mean, you, you know, you know. So go back to youth sports. I mean, soccer is an easy one. Remember the right. size three, size four, size five? Correct. You can tell if there's a size five when there should be a size four out there on the pitch. Very easily. Very easily. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't. What I'm surprised by, uh, she does mention that the players were complaining about the ball. Well, the first time I have a player come over to my bench and complain about the ball, we're not playing anymore until I get confirmation that we're playing with the right ball. I mean, what were we doing here? Correct, which also raises the questions about the ACC and the university. So were were these complaints lodged at the scores table or to the officials? And they were denied until halftime? Like, is that something that happened here as a, as a process where, you know, it's not just something's wrong with the ball. You take it another step and then institutionally there was an issue until somebody said, oh, yeah, at halftime. My bad. Forgot about that. Went to the wrong duffel bag for the game tonight. Like, you know, yeah, I just wonder what the timeline of, of events would be, because, again, to use the soccer example, not the same sport. Yeah. But if we had the wrong size ball and it was a size five and I'm playing at under 10s or under 12s, like we'd all kind of know and, and agree that we need to switch that thing like pronto. So did we have complaints on our sideline as well? I mean, you would know. You would know the difference is my point. I, I'm, I'm The whole story's weird. It's not the end of the world. It is what it is. Uh, both teams play with the same ball, so nobody had an advantage. We, we know that. But, but one thing I would say is I, I hate that it involved Florida State at home because in some ways it would seem that Florida State is culpable. I don't know that they are. Um, but I would also say that it is weird to me that that wasn't remedied immediately because here's what would have happened. If, if the referee, say, eight minutes into the game is alerted to the fact that they're playing with the wrong ball, all that would have had to happen to avoid this being a national story is for him to walk over, ask for both coaches to meet him at the scorer's table and say, listen, guys, I just want you to know because we're not trying to hide anything. We just realized we're playing with the wrong ball. And I apologize. That's disrespectful to you guys. We did not mean to have that happen. We grabbed a men's ball instead of a women's ball. Our bad. From this point forward, we're playing with a women's ball. My apologies. This is done. This is done. That's the end of it. Both coaches would say, thank you for letting us know. Um, You know, let's not let that happen again. But okay. And that's it. 
yeah, an incredulous look, walk back to the benches, and then he'd be like, all right, we, we move forward, we move on. But here's the other thing. I'm going to plead ignorance here because uh, – Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> you're closer – well, you're closer to basketball on a prep level than I am too, right. um, and I know this is college, but don't they rotate basketballs in a game here? Or they only Is it just one basketball is used through, for the entirety? Like, So there's no – there's no rotation. There's no, no, I don't think they rotate balls. No, they use one ball. Clearly, they must not because, I mean, shoot. Yeah, if you I don't rotate, think they, like, whoops, what, what well, is now this? Now that I think about it, no, I don't think they do. I think they want a consistency. So the ball you're playing with to start a game, you you adjust to, and that's that. Some balls are slipperier than others. Hey, now. And uh, that's the way it works. So no, I, that was always the thing. You go in somebody else's gym. I, I did play in middle school. And, yeah. There, there were teams that like to use a slick basketball if they had larger dudes. I hated that. I hated that. That's why LeBron does what he does with the chalk. I mean, we all know that's NBA players. They have the biggest hands in the world. Yeah. Doris will tell you. And uh, and yet, and yet, they, you know, they deal with that issue as well. The ball is very slippery when you have a bunch of sweaty people uh, handling it. So uh, it is it, it is interesting. I Anyhow, we'll move forward. By the way, just so I can avoid this conversation, I don't want to have to have it because it's just people love to be angry. They just love to be angry. There are plenty of men's sports that I don't watch either, guys. Tons of men's sports that I don't care at all about. Wouldn't watch it if you paid me. Swimming's one of them. I don't care. So, so there you go. I mean, like, just so you know, it's not just women's basketball that I uh, loathe. <laughs> That's true. You, you you do watch uh, women's golf and tennis. So I'll stick up. Oh, with- love it. In fact, it's better than the men in tennis, not tennis. golf, but it is better than the men. Uh, women's tennis is better than men's tennis. It just is. And it, it and that's because there are actual volleys and rallies. Um, you know, the equipment and the size of these dudes now has gotten to a point where if you if you can dominate with the serve, you can dominate, and that's the end of it. You right. Know? Now, I'm not saying they lack skills, but you know what I mean. The evolution of the women's game is probably close to something you saw in the 70s or the 80s with the old rackets. Yeah, you know, the, velocity, question. the velocity of the back and forth. Yeah, I remember worrying that uh, – the really strong players uh, that came out of the 80s, Martina Navratilova, for example, she revolutionized the game. Later on, Steffi Graf, and then, of course, Serena. But, I mean, when you go through the evolution of women's tennis, um, she was the first woman I ever saw that uh, was built that powerfully. And her serve bore that out. And I remember thinking, no, I don't want the game to go down this path because I love long rallies. I mean, it's a testament to strategy and angles and fitness and and all of that stuff. Willpower, you know, as opposed to sheer power. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. And I would also note this, and I'm not trying to walk back what I said. I will say, because I actually had this conversation a couple of days ago with a buddy of mine, when you see the best teams in women's basketball, it is a watchable sport. That that now, not like it used to be. Like I, when Tennessee dominated the sport and later UConn, you, you could watch games. And you're like, this is not competitive. This is not fun. This is there's nothing. The, the level of ex, uh, excellence is not where it needs to be. That's not true now of like the best four to eight teams. The, the, the game has come a, a long way. It's Jeff Cambridge, ninety three three Real Talk Radio War Chant TV. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I watch the rain, it settled in, disappeared for days again. Most of us were staying in, lazy like the sky. This is not going to be your... Typical tub talk, Tom. I'm warning you in advance, but if you would, let's cue up the bubbles. 
It's time for Tub Talk. Brought to you by Pinch-A-Penny Pools and Spas. Buy yourself the hot tub you've always wanted at the price you've always wanted from Pinch-A-Penny on Greer Street. Now, it's live to the tub. I'd like to be in a hot tub. I'd like to be in a hot tub. You can go get you one right now at Pinch-A-Penny. They've got over 50 to choose from, I think I saw last. It's a lot of different styles of hot tub stuff. It's over time up. for oh, Tub Talk. Looping. Brought to you by Pinch yeah, Penny. It's on a loop. They're like, hey, guys, I'm still here. <laughs> we already know it's Tub Talk time. Yeah, this morning would have been a perfect time to hop in. Oh, buddy. When it's under 50 degrees and a slight misty rain. Oh, that's the time you want to be in the tub. That is the perfect time. Yeah. Uh, so here's today's Tub Talk. Not a normal story leading into the Super Bowl. Eagles offensive lineman Josh Sills was indicted by a uh, grand jury on uh, one count of rape and kidnapping. Oh, that's a toughie. That is, uh, my goodness gracious. Um, I'm getting out of the tub. What is this? You know, no, uh, summons was issued uh, for him. Uh, and uh the NFL noted that Sills has been placed on the commissioner's exempt list, is not permitted to participate in practices or travel with the Eagles to, you know, the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's the weirdest. I mean, what in the hell? Nah, man. Normally, so here's what I mean by that. People, it's funny, the people love to to spit on players and 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 denigrate players of every league, right? They all because they're jealous of the money that they make. And so they, a lot of time I hear like inferences from fans that players uh, have a higher level of uh, criminality in their workplace than anywhere else, which isn't true. I mean, we know statistically uh, that basically they're just a subset. They happen to be athletes, but they're just a subset of society, right? They're just, it's like, if you work in a building that has that many employees, uh, one of them might end up being a criminal. Uh, every now and again, you're going to learn about Dale, who uh, was into some things you didn't realize. You're like, oh, yeah. Dale's a mess. Um, as in Dale's going to jail. <laughs> but yeah, things like that happen all the time. It's not good. It's not good in any walk of life when that happens, of course. But you don't typically find out that one of your players right before the Super Bowl is being charged with. The, the rape part is, is disturbing and hard to say out loud. It's an oddity when you hear they throw in the kidnapping. What in the world are we, Mr. Sills? What this is all terrible. But what we we have a bona fide like that's like having a serial killer in your room. Like what are we doing? Uh, it's uh, it reminds me, and I you know, I hear that maybe I shouldn't, but remember before the Bucks Super Bowl with uh, Kansas City, like the whole storyline was Andy Reid's son, and oh, this yeah. wasn't a violent crime. It was a it was a, a serious crime though about he's been charged and went to jail yes yeah basically dui manslaughter dui I mean, whatever he killed, he killed somebody yeah and it's just it, it's when that happens to a team especially yeah. if it's a rotational player somebody beloved in the locker room i don't know that two weeks is enough time if you're just talking about gearing up to play the game like that has a serious impact and it had to have on andy reed not that that would have made his tackles play any better against the Bucks' pass rushers, but I mean, good God, it's just sometimes things come crashing down. They remind you that, yeah, this is the biggest game of the year in football, but this dude's a rapist if if the charges are true. If the charges are true, it's an awful, 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 awful thing, and everybody gets that. It is also just a shocking and surprising thing to read about 
involving two teams going to the Super Bowl. Like this is the the first story, the first big story that starts your week. Like, all right, this should be a great matchup. By the way, quick side note: one of the Eagles' offensive linemen has been charged with kidnapping and rape. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Next storyline, guys. Next storyline. I mean, it's nuts. Media day if you're an offensive lineman for the Eagles next. Oh man. Brutal, brutal. Uh, all right, so short segment there. I know that was uplifting tub talk. I will note that we're going to segue into uh, a hodgepodge of best of stuff in the second hour. It's kind of a dead week, guys. We have some behind-the-scenes stuff we've got to get cleaned up. And uh, nothing bad, nothing bad. Nobody's getting charged with kidnapping around here. But uh, but that's <laughs> – sorry, Tom. But uh, <laughs> some look on your face. But we're going to use today. We're not going to use Super Bowl week. We're going to use today. Uh, Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.